everybody. Welcome to another edition of Points on the Board. This is your host, Big John. And William Del Pilar, the conservative Latino. Rentino. Oh, boy, I love that whole uh, Latino, Hispanic. Uh, 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 Chicano. Chicano. Boy, that's something I haven't heard since the mid-70s, William. Yeah, that's about the time I remember going to college, Chicano studies. Because, you know, out here in California, right. it's, it's a predominant uh, uh, ethnicity. Is it ethnicity <laughs> or culture? I can always forget. I, I, I don't know. It's interchangeable to me. But you know what made me think of that was uh, that that sitcom in the 70s with Freddie Prince and Eddie Albertson. It was called uh, Going the Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Until the day. <laughs> yeah. Freddie yeah. Prince. We were crushed. Yeah. I mean, not not like Bill Cosby or OJ crush, but it was crushing because I, it's one of the shows that my dad liked. So well, uh, my, yeah. my dad being a workaholic, the only time I ever saw him was when we watched the boob tube. And and, I, yeah. yeah. And what's funny is I'm sure being uh, based on a Hispanic lead. Puerto Rican, uh, I think. Uh, yeah, he was supposed to be Puerto Rican in the show. Um, and I'm sure that meant something, right? Because you didn't see too many of those characters in the mid '70s necessarily. Right, right. And it was uh, New York City. New York City it, has a big. Uh, I call them New Yorkers. You know, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a. I have a, uh, a checkered belief with my Puerto Rican side of the culture because we're so dependent on the American dollars and as a welfare state, as a welfare island. It's kind yeah. of disgusting, sad and it's all the above and it's something that there is no right or wrong answer anymore it's it's never going to change because it's 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 a beast now that system is to be 60 percent of their island's funding comes through welfare through the three i think we send like three or six billion dollars to that island yeah well it's a great tax haven if you're um if you're wealthy like i know peter schiff said decided to leave the u.s mainland and go to puerto rico and he he's living the life he's just like i get i get nobody the people are great the, the island's great i love my relatives there oh. you know you know what's funny is my relatives uh, uh being gay is not very it's frowned upon it's oh, it, the no. u.s the u.s is probably the most progressive country when it comes to being gay outside of europe uh latin american countries asian countries african countries no 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 no, no. it's still old school well wait but, brazil has a big gay community right they're pretty so accepted. there's panama so there's puerto rico so no but i mean brazil seems to be more accepting of it though aren't they I, you know, I've been to Brazil, but I, I'm not Brazilian. Brazilian is unique because it's actually Portuguese. It's, it's not Spaniard. It was a right. Portuguese conquered Brazil. So their culture, but at the end of the day, they, it, it's the same population in terms of ra- ratio or percentage, I'm right, sure, right. in all these countries. But it's, it's they're not as out in the closet. But my Puerto Rican side, boy, they, the flamboyant ones, boy, they're all proud. And we don't care. You know? <laughs> it's like they don't tell us, but you can obviously see it as, as they wear on their sleeves and uh it's just kind of funny because the panamanian side it's very still taboo uh, oh, okay. uh, uh, I, I don't think i've ever met somebody who is openly gay from panama of course they're there i'm sure right, they are right right but i've never really met one it's not that i run in those circles but in puerto rico hell my family alone they don't care so it's kind of refreshing because 
there's something to be said about being your own person. Yeah, sure. I think you know that about me. Yeah. But anyway, let's get the show going, Big yeah, John. Let's, let's, what do we got? As, as interesting as that was, and I want to hear more about flamboyant Puerto Ricans, possibly in orange uh, jumpsuits with sequins. I'm not sure. But uh, <laughs> Big John wants to meet flamboyant Puerto Ricans. Okay. Hey, man, I went to school in Washington Heights. I, I, I grew up around them. So uh, anyway, uh, let's talk about what's going to be on the show today, William. We've got a great show um, we're going to talk about the NCAA uh, men's basketball champions. Uh, a, a new winner was crowned this year, uh, the other night. Another big trade in the NFL, but a little bit of a strange one. We'll talk about that. And also um, Frank Gore. Man, uh, Frank. Old man Frank finally deciding to hang it up uh, for, of all things, I believe, to to go into celebrity boxing. But we'll talk about that. We'll talk about his place in NFL history and then uh, also some other topics. But let's start off with, uh, as they say, at the beginning, first things first, uh, let's talk about the NCAA men's hoops. This one uh, was a nail biter and it was a pretty good tourney. Uh, a lot of uh, Cinderella runs, of course, uh, was it St. Peter's, uh, Duke, uh, the whole story with uh, Coach K's final season. So that was a nice storyline in there. You had the upstart UNC and then and in, in the semifinals, UNC and Duke, you know, that rivalry, of course. Exciting tournament, tournament is what you're saying. Yeah, it was a really great tournament. Um, but at the end, Kansas comes out on top, 72-69. Uh, uh, great game. Very exciting. William, talk to us about it. Uh, what, were your, what were your thoughts on, on the game and the tourney? Well, the tourney itself was phenomenal. Uh, the upsets this season, every year the upsets are the same. We sure. say the same thing. But that's part of the game. This is why, I'm going to digress for 30 seconds. Go this ahead. is why college football needs to have a tournament of 32 yeah. teams. And they can do it. They choose not to. And it could benefit literally every college in this country. But the greed of the SEC, the big Pac-10, the, the ACC, the ones who are locked into those uh, 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 big old games. Uh, old yeah, games. Old yeah. Games. yeah, yeah. It, it's a disgrace. It, it, it's a conspiracy because they're working together uh, because there's nothing that says they can't. You know, right. it's between the TV contracts, it's, it's and who suffers? The players. Uh, because well, as much as it pays yeah. me to say, I believe amateur athletics shouldn't be paid, but I change. I'm like, when a university and the system it's in earns billions and the coaching staff or the head coach, mostly basketball here, gets two to four to six to eight to $10 million contracts by Nike or Adidas, and they tell their kids, they, they don't ask them, you're going to wear these shoes. You know, that it, it's a corrupt system. And well, so, you know what's interesting? I read that um, when you look at the most, the highest paying government positions. Oh, they're college coaches. State, it's college coaches of state yeah. schools. Yeah. Uh, in some of them, it might be like a university president or something, like the state university president might be the highest paid. But in many states, surprisingly, it's the, either the head football coach or the head men's basketball coach. Right, right. Well, it's not surprising salary. to me. I've been following this for decades. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a corrupt it's, system. It's you know, I'm a conservative. You're a libertarian. Yeah. This is where the leftism in me comes out. <laughs> you know, I'm like, no, no, no. These are old, white, good old boys. And when I say good old boys, I'm not talking about the South. 
I'm just talking, people forget, you know, uh, people forget slavery ended in the South before it did in the North, technically speaking, you know, so it's not like the Northern States, it's this good old boy systems, because in the North, you got Seton Hall, you know, you got Connecticut. It's cronyism is what you meant. Thank cronyism. And and before we get too much off topic, I just wanted to say, I agree with you, and it's not a liberal in you, it's, it's actually a conservative libertarian side of you, because look, I think push comes to shove, there shouldn't be any state schools. So if you want to have a university that puts the emphasis on athletics, and that's who they value, and that's what they pay, great. Create a school around athletics. That's fine. I have no problem with that. I have a problem with it. It was money. Yeah, I have a problem when it's tax funded, right? So that's my problem. Uh, And I agree with you. I used to have like a very idealistic view of amateur sports, the Olympics. And I'm like, pay all of them now. Who cares? Because it was going under the table anyway. And now what? We're going to pretend like Soviet bloc countries didn't uh, pay and train their athletes to compete in the Olympics while we were starving our college kids to, to why? All they did was get, they gave them officer ranks in their armies and they ate and they lived like kings. You know, they oh, didn't have right. to live for that's a little bit. Absolutely correct. And they the got military, around it that way. Yeah, they the got around it that way. Funded their, their, their yeah. especially the ice hockey team. So <laughs> I, 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 funny. I, I've swung around to your way of thinking on that too. But, but no, no, I'm just thinking Lake Placid. Was it 1980 or 1984? 1980. 1980. Lake Placid. You know, all these officers and enlisted men in the Russian army, you know. Colonel Trechak in Yeah, yeah, but they had great duty stations in Cuba. Who knows else? After that game, they were all headed to their newest station. Yeah, that that was horrible for them. What's it called? What did they send everybody to? The gulags? Yeah, the gulags (laughs) out in Siberia. But uh, But back to the game. Yeah, let's talk about Kansas. What did you think about Kansas-UNC? Well, as you said, it was 72-69. It was a great tournament. Uh, it was tough for me. I'm a big Coach K fan because, as I told you before, he yeah. teaches his boys to become men. They 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 learn. They get educated. They they're not like Kentucky, one and done. Well, actually, Duke has become one and done. So Duke has fallen into that too. But that said, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that towards the end, as well as the fact that of all these regs and NCAA issues. But this game ended a 14-year drought. The last time Kansas won a championship was in 2008, and Bill Self was the coach. Ironically, I, I, I don't know if it was his first or second season after Roy, uh, 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 I, I'm drawing a blank, but uh, Roy, uh, Williams? Roy Williams left to go become the coach at UNC. And uh, so those were so those were really Roy Williams players, but Bill Self won the national championship. Ironically, Roy Williams won the national championship with the pre- his predecessors' uh, players, you know. Uh, and, and I don't think he won it with his own players. I, I thought it was a bad hire of Roy Williams. It was a, it was that was purely cronyism and old school politics in in running somebody who didn't deserve to get run out to bring a good old boy in. I was never a Roy Williams fan to this right. day to the day he dies. Get out of here you know but bill self ran the program 2008 won the championship uh i want to say uh uh he was in another title game and he lost kentucky so this was his third appearance and he overcame the largest deficit in ncaa history at one point they were down by 16 points at halftime they were down by 15 points this is what i found impressive this is what i look for in a coach Growing up, I never had the killer instinct. I learned and was taught the killer instinct uh, uh, when I was a young adult. And I took it to heart. 
If your if your opponent is down, you put a a foot on their neck. You put the boots on their neck. Yeah, you you put them down like a rabid dog. Right. And as they entered the half, North Carolina had played their game. That's why they were dominating. They were playing their style game, and they needed defense. So Bill Self gave him the speech, you know, pretty much said, hey, look, my last championship team, we were down by nine and, like, with two minutes left. What's harder to come back, 15 with 20 minutes or nine and two minutes? Oh, nine and two minutes. So his whole point was, yeah, see, this is doable. But what was impressive was the defense they played, Big John, within two minutes and 30 seconds in a 20-minute half. They caught up. I mean, it's it, 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 unless you follow basketball, you really don't understand how oh, impressive that is. Yeah, in two and a half minutes to make up 15 points is, is incredible. Exactly. And when I was talking about putting that foot on that neck and just, just right. twisting your foot and crushing it, that's kind of what that defense did to the UN center. And I love pronouncing his name. I don't know how it's pronounced, but it's Armando Baco is what I say. Probably Baycock, Baycock. Just but, as good uh, a pronunciation as any, William. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I mean, if I'm him and I'm in a club, what's your name? Armando Baco. <laughs> you see the girls you do it with a nice uh, collared suit, wide lapels, sort of like a black and white outfit with a with a Dude, little hat, maybe a, it a works. shirt. I, I was in a jazz club in Jacksonville, Florida once. You know, I, I'm the liest person there. <laughs> once they found out I was Puerto Rican, they couldn't stay off me. So, oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Who yeah. knows what affects people, but Armando Baco. Anyway, Armando's the center. He was solid the first half. Right. Suffered uh, an ankle injury in the Duke game, and and they didn't really take it to him. Yet, what they did was they forced Baco away from the rim, and by forcing him away from the rim, his gimpy ankle came more into play because. Right. When you're that close to the rim, you really move here, move there, boom, block, block. He had to actually come out, come out and cover. And they ate him alive. And he re-injured his ankle with about 38 seconds left, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And as you know, as well as I do, 38 seconds is not much time. But in in, in basketball, that can can last an hour. Yeah, it can (laughs) last an hour. And, you know, so what they did is they took advantage of his injury and put the, 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 the foot down on the neck and just twisted and they came away with a victory, and it was a well-earned victory. And the reason I say that is, this is competitive sports. You know, I used to believe in that crap honor. No. Sportsmanship. No, no, there's sportsmanship I do believe in. But what they did was just tough strategy to win the game. They took advantage. Oh, he took advantage of the fact that he was hurt. So, it's not my fault. Why is he in there? That's why you have a bench. Yeah, there was an article when I was doing my research, and the way he didn't come out, he or she didn't come out and say it, but you kind of sense they didn't like the fact that they took advantage of a guy with a gippy ankle. And I'm like, well, that's why you're a reporter, barely earning above minimum wage, and you're not going to be earning multi-millions out there as a coach or a player. Yeah, it's just it, it, it just irks me when people put their morality to just just write about the write about the article. Right. But that said, what we were talking about the corruption, well, it was kind of ironic because Kansas won. And Kansas is currently uh, 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 dealing with potential violations that the NCAA has against them. Five level one violations that were labeled egregious and severe. <laughs> now the school is claiming innocence. Well, I say, well, I didn't know that was happening. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, what's your take on college? Uh, well, let me get a little bit into it. Then I want to hear your libertarian take. So in essence, 
what happened is Adidas reps, and I would suspect Adidas is the wink wink. We don't know what's happening, but right. yeah, go ahead and pay the players to come to the school. So what happens is the Nike, Adidas, New Balance, whoever, whatever shoes are, are doing this, they kind of take these programs under their wing and support them with monies, you know, legally, you know, stuff that they can do legally, yeah. uh, big contract for the coach, for the kids to wear the shoes. And when you have a, a, an NCAA powerhouse sporting your shoes, you know, obviously marketing yeah. is going to yeah. generate some sales. So two of their players were paying families to uh, were paying families to come to Kansas. No different than what Nike does. No different than, than, than what Reebok does. It's this is how the game is played. So Kansas is playing innocent. They're playing innocent to the point. They got some smart lawyers. He said, yo, boss, boss, let's go ahead and try to sue them, get our money back so we look good. So they're trying to collect $1.1 million in restitution for one of the individuals. But here's the irony that I see, Big John. These two out of the three men went to prison. The third man didn't go to prison because he was testifying against the two men. Right. <laughs> you know? So the two men went to prison for paying kids from the ghetto, kids from the trailer park, kids from the barrio. That's right. right. That's all politically incorrect. So screw these people. But the reason I say that is those are the kids that don't have money. So this is, it, it was yeah. the brides were anywhere from a thousand to, to, to upwards. Uh, it doesn't take much to bribe somebody who's poor. You know, my parents have been there. They worked hard, so I wouldn't have to affect that. But my take to you, John, is with all these professional athletes getting paid, uh, these coaches getting paid, I mean, don't you see the issues with, oh, you're going to throw him in jail because he was trying to pay the kid. Yeah, it's, it, it is a ludicrous position that the NCAA holds. Listen, here's, here's my belief. Call it libertarian, call it Big John's beliefs, whatever. Just get rid of all that regulation. Get rid of it. It, it all it does, like you said, is it it encourages and facilitates uh, avoidance. Right, right. It, right, it facilitates right. under the table nonsense. Every so often, the NCAA will spin a wheel and say, "Okay, who are we going to catch for violations?" Uh, Kansas or uh, Clemson or whatever, right? Because they every so often they'll like to flex their muscles. But the truth of the matter is, like you said, it's obvious who gets the perks. It's the kids who can't get in on an ac academic scholarship, right? Well, you know, actually most of them get in on an academic scholarship and that's the whole point. These scholarships are so, or just the rules in general yeah. are so restrictive, they can't even hold a job. Well, right, well, that's the other thing, it. right, yeah. So my whole point would be just like, carte blanche the 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 this is like when these socialists and communists talk about exploitation it's usually nonsense almost always nonsense this is exploitation of the student athletes because they never agreed to work for slave wages while you actually they did john well let me take it back you have this funny feeling that contracts aren't signed but no no, no 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 i i let me take it back my wording was wrong what i meant to say is um, it is exploitation in the sense that it's not a free market. They're, they're not free to go from school to school. They're not free. Like, look, if you and I are working for an employer, um, we're not, we can quit and go somewhere else. It's a, but, it's, well, John, they do have a transfer portal, but, it's, but it's not like they can quit. They have to go through a process. Right. And it takes, and, and then there are, there are rules about eligibility, right. but it's there. I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's a corrupt system. Just, uh, just let it go is my opinion. Just let it go. Have well, everybody. Sadly, sadly, you can't. 
because corruption, you see, John, I firmly believe, and you probably disagree, but I firmly believe, sure, there's a lot of politicians who want to make new laws and have their names attached for political reasons, but I believe early on, at least, a lot of new laws were created because there were no laws and human nature it, with 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 money men who own businesses and as they grow and get bigger, it just becomes corrupt. So if there's no law there, they're gonna, easiest example, why were child labor laws created? I don't know, there shouldn't be any child labor laws. They were created because they were exploiting kids in factories. See, that's my whole point, John. No, is, no, 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 there should be no, child no, labor finish. laws. Huh? Libertarianism is based off, off uh, I think, this utopia that we're going to be honest, but child labor laws were created because they were exploiting those kids in the, shot, in, in the factories when the industrial, probably well before, but when the industrial revolution began, it exploded. So my whole point is, I agree with you. What, what, see, people think that, that, that conservatism is more libertarians don't want laws. It's not that we don't want laws. We want the minimum laws. You know, it's kind of like, remember the pollution of the 70s? We want laws for where crimes are committed. That's it. Like, right. so in any time you tell me we need a law for X, in this case, uh, NCAA corruption, whatever. My question is always the following. What crime are you solving? What crime are you preventing? And I'm being very careful by saying crime. Who right. is the victim? Right. right crimes whatever so for example if if but no john that's actually what a college the biggest issue they had are bribing these boosters who pay that's pretty much a bribe i'm bribing you to come to, to college really what do you do I'm gonna what's what's the difference between a bribe and a bonus no, no i'm not going to get into that aspect because i'm not a lawyer i'm just saying where, no 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 that's where after 10 years of meeting with my lawyer because the internet was a new medium and there was no right. legalities i have come to understand the nuance of legal legalese writing or whatever right. they say right. so so i think this is one of those cases we can't even get up the bat because we're not lawyers that's how complicated these type of uh, I, I understand what you're saying but i'm saying forget forget the law momentarily i'm asking you philosophically what is the difference between the following I'm an employee, and it's happened to me in my life where like two companies are bidding on my services, right? No, 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 no. We're not talking companies. We're talking a school system, and there's a massive difference that I'll get into when I answer your question. Yeah. So, my, and I, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but what is the difference between two companies bidding for my services and saying, hey, uh, we'll both offer you 250K a year? Oh, wow. I'm trying to decide between the two. And then one says, look, <laughs> sign with us. Here's another 50K. Because for lack of a better way of saying it, that's the real world. The university system is about competition, about education. I'm telling you what, how it supposedly started. It's become a business, you know, but at the end of the day, it's about competitive play. That's it's, it's in the real world. In business, it's not about competitive play. You guys go at each other and supply and demand. The, the laws of economics take over. That's not how the university system is built, nor is it how it's supposed to work. It, you're comparing apples to oranges. I'm not disagreeing with your philosophy, but you're, what you're using to kind of define it is apple to oranges. It's a completely no, it's different not. As a wise man once said, it's all economics. And I'll no. leave it at that. But let no. me just- Milton Freeman was human. <laughs> he wasn't perfect. Let me- I do want to mention about Bill Self and Hubert Davis. Yeah, I was going to say, wrap it up. Let's, let's talk right. about what you think. So this is Bill Self's second title. Uh, oh, oh, and ironically, Bill Self is 
part of this investigation. But yeah, Kansas went ahead anyway and gave him a lifetime contract. Why not? Yeah. Now, Bill Self cemented Bill Self into NCAA legacy, you know, because the way he won this game, it's his second championship, third appearance, I believe. And he's tied for the most championships now amongst active coaches because uh, Mike Krzyzewski retired. Uh, he, he, he's uh, tied with Rick Pitino, who's now an Iona coach. Man, talk about a fall from grace. Yeah, but he's 69, you know, Twilight years. And Villanova's Jay Wright, who I've never heard of. You know, my point being is uh, Bill Self and Jay Wright, they're really nobodies, uh, whereas people no Patino outside NCAA. Right, right, right. So my point being is Bill Self is still creating his legacy, his greatness. So he, he's still young enough. He's still got many years. So this was a huge victory for him, especially, I don't know if you follow it closely, but Kansas teams have kind of imploded throughout the years, meaning they're either great or they're supposed to be great, then they get imploded. In, in other words, there's a team that gets uh, – uh, upset in the tournament. In fact, last year they got upset. Typically speaking, you're right. Exactly. Hubert Davis now. Hubert Davis. Uh, you know, the, he, he's really a new coach. You know, he's part of the Tar Heel legacy. Player, won a national championship, or at least went the one. Head coach, he's taking his team. I think he may be the only guy who's done that, or maybe one or two. Yeah, and he played in uh, for the Knicks in the NBA. I know that much. Um, so, yeah, he's a, he's a New York favorite, too. You know, just because right. he played for the Knicks. So, Carolina, though, Carolina basketball is to the ACC and the NCAA what the Yankees are to baseball, you know. So he had a great run. He had a subpar regular season by North Carolina standards, meaning right. he lost games he shouldn't have lost. Uh, however, his two vi his victories over Duke and Krzyzewski's farewell, farewell tour. As it turned out, yeah. Is, Man, it's it's part of those. Well, you're kind of like a C plus B minus student there, uh, you know, Hubert. But 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 if you do this extra credit, man, that can bump you up to a B plus A minus. Right, and, and that's, that's exactly what, you, what happened. Yep. Yeah, especially exactly in the final four to to have that win. Now, sadly, that probably gives him enough. What do they call it, extension? Enough rope for yeah. for uh, that's actually a wrong term to use. Theme for Davis. My apologies. <laughs> it, 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 it gives him leeway. Leeway, yes, gives him some uh, leeway for about one to two years. So he'll be safe next year unless the team collapses. But they still want to see uh, tournament results. Right. So that's the pressure of being a, a Carolina coach. But overall, that run has won him accolades. It well deserved, you know. Uh, yeah. he, he put UNC back into the spotlight. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, and honestly, I think it works out for him in terms of uh, – just having a nice base to build on. He's only a second year coach. So this, this, this is, this will fare him well going forward. The, the, the experience, the accolades for again, uh, stomping on Duke. It's a big, one of those, one of the biggest, if not the biggest rivalries in college basketball. So I think that works out very nicely for him. Uh, I want to wrap up the segment by shouting out one of our friends, Thomas Casali. We're hoping to get him on soon. Big Tom. Had Kansas before the season started as his eventual champion. Wow. Uh, so he collected a futures bet and he was so confident. If you follow him on Twitter, I'll throw out a free thing for Tom. Uh, he, he refused to take the hedge bet. So because he had uh, the futures bet on Kansas, he had a certain amount of money locked in, right? And much like me with the Super Bowl with the Bengals and the Rams, all he had to do was put a hedge bet on. Um, 
on uh, UNC. But he was so confident, he said, that's it. I'm rolling with Kansas. I'm doubling down on Kansas. Um, uh, so I, so he ended up winning. Now, the irony was, had he taken the hedge bet, he would have won both bets because the spread How was... How much did he win? Uh, I don't know. But but the futures bet was plus 1,800. So it was, oh. it was 18 to 1. That he So whatever he put down, he got an 18 to 1 spread on the way back. You know, my friend made my Ravens bet. I, I predicted that they would go to the Super Bowl. I didn't predict yeah. them to win, that they would go to the Super Bowl. And that was the year they went to the Super Bowl. But my friend Liz in Vegas placed the bet for me. And he actually told me, had I done that bet like two months earlier when I had first mentioned oh, it to yeah. him, because the payout would have been thousands more. But yeah. I think I, I won like a couple thousand, got my whole gym. Yeah, and there's like, uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's, a whole, uh, there's a whole science to futures bets and then hedging it as the season goes along. But, you know, Tom is a great guy. We're gonna, he or I already texted him after he won, congratulated him, and told him, like, you got to come on the show and talk. And he promised me he would. We just got to work out the schedules. Uh, but if you do follow Thomas Casali, he's uh, one of the great uh, talents. Started out here at Sports Grumblings. He's an OG Sports Grumblings. Uh, one of the funniest, most insightful people on all sports. Uh, I would love to have him on soon, and I'm sure we will. All right, right, right let's move okay, on. Okay, John. Let's move on to the next topic. All right, so Big John. Yes. There was a big trade in the NFL. Yep. Uh, boy, that term big is being thrown around for a lot of trades, and things, but it's true, you know? So uh, the Eagles and the Saints made a trade. Big John, why don't you break down the trade? Because ironically, there were, were no players involved. Yeah. And, and as, as, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, this was strange in the way it was constructed. So... The Saints acquired Philadelphia's 16th overall pick in, in the first round, 19th overall pick in the first round, and the Eagles' six-round pick, which worked out to number 194, in exchange for the 18th overall pick this year. This is what the uh, Eagles get. This is what the Eagles get back. They get back a third rounder this year, which works out to number 101. They get back a seventh rounder, which works out to 237. They get a first rounder next year and a second rounder in 2024. So what what is this? And it sounds strange. There's a lot of picks being thrown around. Right now, there's a lot of theories. There's a lot of uh, from quarterback to waiting. Uh, so there is no right or wrong answer, Big John. Yeah. What's your take? Here's my take. I love this trade. I love this trade because it shows you what both teams are thinking. It kind of reveals the position they're in. So first of all, Philadelphia had three first round picks this year. That's a massive salary. Cap right. But exactly. No matter who they took, they're locked into a certain salary cap commitment. Uh, exactly. exactly. Right. So Philadelphia says to itself, they probably looked at the board and said, look, do we, there's, it's not a good draft for quarterbacks. So, Big John, for the audience, what John is saying about slotted, meaning where you fall, pick one, two, three, four, there's an X amount of dollars in that contract. There is no more of this Sam Bradford ended the good roles. Right, right, right. So yes, now yes. he's slotted. So the Eagles know, based off those picks, what it's going to cost him in salary cap. Right, right. right. Give, or take a, give or take a few percentage points. It's always within a very narrow band. And that's according to the collective bargaining agreement. So they right. all live by it. Which John hates. <laughs> no, whatever. But my point is now, what happened is Philly is rolling with Jalen Hurts, right? Right, right, right. That's all you hear. Yeah. So they're rolling with him, at least for one more year. 
they have him on a cheap contract because he was a second round pick. So he didn't cost them first round money. If he does well this year, right? They take those picks that they delayed. And guess what? They're they're now being able to tra- draft best talent available. And they'll have the ammunition to do it. Well, it hurts his young, isn't he? Huh? It hurts his young still on that first contract, oh, right? Sure, yeah. I and I I believe in Hurts, actually. I think he needs to get coached up. He needs some experience, but I physically I think he's got all the tools. Um and they save money. They they save cap space. That's the important thing. Now, what happened? Why did New Orleans take this on when they're in cap hell? Well, actually, they kind of got it a little bit out of cap. Yes, they they got out of it, but but there's (laughs) yeah, but but they're not necessarily in great shape. They're still tight. Yeah. And now, do they have a strong free agency because of that? No, they lost a lot of good players. They lost Taron Armstrong, their left tackle. He went to Miami as part of that Miami spending spree. Uh, they had to bring back Jameis Winston. They probably couldn't commit uh, commit to Deshaun Watson when they were trying to get trade for him. Well, they tried so, for him. He they tried, but I'm sure they couldn't match what other people did, yeah. you know, financially. So, um, so how do you rebuild by getting two first round picks in that middle of the first round? There, if they could get two good players, and that's always a chance with the draft, right? But assuming you're confident in your front office, but John, you need to rebuild. Are they are they planning to rebuild, or are they thinking they can make a run out? I think they're I think they're planning to rebuild while remaining competitive. So I don't think they got two picks so they can go get a quarterback. I mean, it's a possibility, but I doubt it. I I think they're going to wait till next year. And that's what you're saying about the Eagles too, because you like Hurts. I like Hurts. Now I don't. I think Jameis Winston is a serviceable quarterback. He's I don't know that he's a franchise quarterback anymore but he's a serviceable quarterback. I'm not as down on him as a lot of other people are. I think, I think he's maturing. And I think if they have now, do you think they're going to use before? I don't want to digress too much, yeah. but do you think they're going to, they were strong defense statistically, yeah. at least if I remember yeah, correctly, yeah, yeah. and they had a strong rushing attack. So my thought process, and I don't know what yours is, but I kind of just assume it's a complimentary offense in, in a sense. The, the quarterback's not going to drive this machine. No, it's no, it's not. Jake's so, on the game plan. So if you think, what do, what do the Saints need where they can get a big impact? Well, they lost Jenkins to retirement. They lost uh, one of the Williams uh, brother, boys, I was going to say brothers, uh, out of the second. The secondary has taken a lot of hits this offseason. They, they got to rebuild their defense. They can, so they need to rebuild their defense. They need to um, to add offensive line. I mean, they could probably get by with what they got even with the loss of Armstrong, but they could pick them up. But they can use a second, you know, one of the later picks. So, John, you're saying you think they're going to be drafting to have an impact this year. And because of that, these are slotted contracts. So they don't have they're to locked go in on for five pay. years. They're locked in for five years. So what I'm saying is it's not a quarterback. I, I would be shocked if they packaged those two picks to move up to get one of the quarterbacks. I would be shocked. What I'm likely thinking is they're trying to get two impact trench players the kind of guys who have 10 12 year careers like if you think about it you get yourself another cam jordan if you can and i god knows it's easier said than done cam jordan's been a terrific defensive lineman for many years right Right. but you get you get someone like a cam jordan in the middle of the first round which is possible there's a lot of depth at the d-line position you might be able to get yourself a nice corner or a good safety um 
those guys can play 10 years if they're good for you. And right. at reasonable it, it, but it's still a hit and miss. It's still a hit and miss, no, isn't old it? drafting is a hit or miss, let's be honest. But, but like, you increase your chances by being in the middle. And then, you know, now that now being in the middle potentially also allows them to deal up and down the board more. Like, uh, they could pick more draft capital by moving down in the first round. That's right. And let's be honest. Let's say they don't see their player. What if they keep moving down, keep moving down, and they say somebody like Pickett slides? Because I think any of the two QBs are going to slide, it's, it's going to be Pickett. Uh, you know, so we never say never. So yeah. it sounds to me, John, there wasn't a winner in this as much as there were two winners. Yeah, there were two winners. comments on it. There were two winners to this. And one of the more uh, out there theories that I've heard is that they were willing to deal next year's first because there's a feeling that Sean Payton's going to want to come back to coaching. Oh, yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. But the Saints own his rights. Oh, they'll trade him. John Gruden. A Gruden. You're right. So, so there's a possibility that they're thinking like, and look, not to allege any conspiracies, but maybe Sean Payton said, I'm coming back in a year, but I'm not coming back to you. So why don't you? <laughs> well, they have his right. Huh? No, no, I mean, you said they have his right. They so have his right. And pay. look, are you trying to tell me Jimmy Johnson wouldn't pay to have Sean Payton go coach, coach the Cowboys after this disaster with McCarthy? Uh, no, like, no, no, no. Jimmy Johnson would not pay him. Jerry Jones would. That's what I'm sorry, I misspoke. Jerry Jones. Are you trying to tell me Jerry Jones? You barely make him. I love the. I gotta jump on it. Are you trying to tell me Jerry wouldn't uh, jump? Uh, Jerry would not Jimmy. for a second. <laughs> of course he would. So anyway, my point. So I think there's a lot, but like I said, I love this trade because it's more strategic in nature. It's kind of showing you where both teams are at. Like the Eagles, think about how confident they are that they're saying we're good. We're good. We don't need all three first round picks, right? We're good. And uh, the odds are they're not going to hit on all three. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I buy that. I think, I think it's a, as you said, this is the business. And at the end of the day, they looked at those numbers. They look at where they're at in the rebuild. And it was a strategic decision. But that said, you could be absolutely right. I just think that fans and sometimes we as analysts, you know, we love the game so much, so much that, you kind of forget it's business. It's a business first. People don't realize yes. that. Yes. Yeah. It's All right, Big John. Yes. Let's talk about one of my favorite players of all time. People may not understand it, but I have mentioned this before. I love rooting for the underdog. Yep. I do. You know, coming from third world country, seeing my parents overcome the odds. Uh, uh, so, so they, I don't know why it's a quirk of me. Frank Gore, uh, I'm going to uh, talk about him up until his collegiate career. Then I want to hear everything about his sure. NFL career. But real quick to the audience here, Frank Gore overcame two ACL tears. His second one, he had beaten out Willis McGahee, uh, who went on to have a pretty solid NFL, actually an elite career for a couple of seasons with yes. TD, if I remember. But but he, he was a better than average player. Oh, yeah. As a freshman, he was behind Clinton Portis. Not one but two ACL tears. And then he came out with that stigma. I mean, you can't fault anybody for having that stigma. His career's done. He had two ACL tears. Well, not that it was done. It was very short and you couldn't predict the needs. Right. And not only did he overcome, he was one of these quiet players. So many may not know this, but he thrived with the elite backs in too many ways uh, that I want to list right now. But as a pro, this is the man with the analytical plan 
Big John. Tell me a little bit about him. Do his numbers warrant, uh, I guess what I'm asking, does his number warrant him as a Hall of Fame player? That's, that's, start that's, by who we played with. that's a great question. That like, so when you consider people for the Hall of Fame, there's two schools of thought, right? One school of thought is look at the numbers. If the numbers are there, they deserve to get in. There's another school of thought that says, however, <clears throat> you have to take their careers in context. Were they impact players? Were they the best or most influential players during their time in their sport, right? So, for example, when you look at Gore, let me read off some of these numbers. Uh, played uh, until age 37, 38. Um, played for five teams, the 49ers, the Colts, the Dolphins, the Bills, and the Jets. Uh, career rushing yards, 16,000. Yards per carry, 4.3. 81 rushing touchdowns. Almost 500 receptions, 484. Uh, almost 4,000 receiving yards, 3985. What about his uh, unique uh, records? Did he have any unique records or any records where he's it's him in the elites? Or are there any records with him and Hall of Fame peers? The reason I ask is yeah. that's who you're judged against to get in. Am I correct? Right. So, so he he's one of what 30, 30 31 running backs who got 10,000 yards uh correct, rushing correct. yeah, yeah so, so it's, it's very exclusive i'm sure uh, there's we, been thousands of running backs since nfl yeah. started so and he, and only one of four who ran for over 15,000 so when you look at the other three <laughs> that went in that's uh, elite emmett smith elite. emmett smith walter payton Barry Sanders, um, and I'm trying to think. No, that was it. That was the three. Barry Sanders, Walter Payton, and Emmett Smith, right? 15,000, right? Yeah, the 15,000 plus. So listen, when you look at just the numbers, you're like, wow, it, why even ask? Like the TDs aren't there as much as Emmett and, you know, but. But didn't he have from Linus, see, as fantasy players. Yes. The, 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 the yards from scrimmage, because now Very before good. early on fantasy used to separate them, but yeah. now they just kind of, it's two, two scoring points, uh, but they just combined it into one. So you're talking yeah. uh, from scrimmage, you're looking at what? 12 close to, close to 20,000 yards in his career from scrimmage. Like, yeah, and, and that's unique. Yeah. And that's, that's the team that's, concept of football. Yeah, and uh, and ironically, ninety nine total TDs from scrimmage, one short of a hundred. Like he had eighty one rushing and eighteen receiving. So, but listen, those numbers themselves are not in question. I don't think anyone would ever say, "Look, um, the numbers aren't good enough. They're good enough." Here's the problem: he played for sixteen years. He entered the league in two thousand five. He retired. Well, or functionally retired in 2020. Technically, he hasn't retired. Well, I was going to say functionally, he retired in 2020. Right, 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 right. So that's 16 seasons. Now, there's always been a bias, perhaps unjustly, in the minds of a lot of Hall of Fame voters for what I call endurance numbers, meaning that a lot of the numbers were accumulated because they just played forever. You know, you are absolutely correct, John, but let me ask you this. Yeah. I was going to say, before you ask your question, a good example, say, for Baseball Hall of Fame is Jack Morris. Or or the pitcher for the Dodgers, uh, Sutton. Like, Sutton got 300 wins without ever winning 20 in a year. 
in one season. That's even more impressive. You know, right? each rule is there for a reason and, it, and it's unique. And I'm aware of that, but this is where I don't, I don't know if you considered it. And if you have, I guess I disagree, but that's because it's usually the quarterback who has lasted that long. Dave Craig comes to mind. Great quarterback for the loser Seahawks, but nobody in their right mind would sit there and say he was Hall of Fame. Well, no, not at all. No. I wouldn't say he was Hall of Fame. You know, however, the running back position is the exact opposite. It well, is there's a lot of wear and tear. Yeah. It's not right. a wear and tear. It's yeah. a brutal beating yeah. because they want to tackle you and hurt you. And it's not like a receiver. You're out in the open or you can see the hit coming. It's bam, bam, bam. Oh, and, and it's at and it's at the line of scrimmage. And I've done plenty of articles no, analyzing but, but that. Yeah. What's your take on the longevity then? Don't you think see, yeah, I was gonna oh, say I'm sorry to add this with yeah. two rebuilt with a knee rebuilt twice. Yeah. Listen. I didn't say that I discount endurance and longevity. I'm saying that there's only a small number of people who vote on these things. And in you some, think they'll be swayed. Right. I think some of them may look at it and say, it did take them. Look, what about Terrell Davis? It's the opposite, right? They say good numbers, but didn't play long enough. Same thing with Dale Sayers, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's, you see, but that's why it has to be a combination. Right, Everybody I saw Gail's greatness. Yeah, but he I had no time. The uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. You have to take it in 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 context. Yeah. So if I had a bet, I think Frank Gore gets in. I don't know if he's a first or second or third ballot Hall of Famer. Oh, it's a stacked year, so I don't think he'll get in this yeah. coming year. But I think he'll get in, and he won't have to wait fifteen years like Harry Carson right. or somebody. He'll get in, um, and I think justifiably so. Uh, and I think the the part that you mentioned repeatedly, which I think is so important, he did it after coming off two ACL injuries, um, yeah. Yeah. which you know, to me is fat, is amazing. I can't even begin. Um, I mean, look at Saquon Barkley at, at, at his age, roughly the same age as when Frank Gore may have had his first or second ACL. Barkley's still trying to come back after two seasons. Exactly. And, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the running back for the Minnesota, Terry something. No, uh, no, you're thinking of Smith. Terry Smith. I don't remember if his first name was Terry. Terry. Smith, number 26. I could see the name. I could see it in my head. He came up at the same time as Mitchell for the Redskins. They're both yeah, running yeah. backs. And I had to choose between well, Terry Allen. That's it. I had to Terry choose Allen, between yeah. him and Terry Allen. And uh, uh, I drafted him. He just exploded. Then the next year I had the ACL tier. But he had, those little, he had those little chicken legs, though. Yeah, right? then he I mean, came back, though. I mean, he kind of like every other year had an ACL here, and they came back strong. Yeah. So I, I think, I think he belongs. I think you got to put things in context. I agree. You know, Terrell Davis was the reason they have a Super Bowl. Uh, uh, Gail Sayers and the relationship of bonding in an era of racial division. To see that story, that impression. Uh, I don't believe in fate per se, but. They transcended, uh, 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 Gail Sayers transcended. He got in because of football, but to me, he was more of an icon. He transcended and rose above it, and he was a special player. And that's how I view, uh, view you, you know, <laughs> that's Gore. how I view him here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Frank Gore. But I guess my final take on it is, on the political side, mm-hmm. these are the, this is why I love Frank Gore. That's the, he took advantage of the opportunity few men with God-given talent like him have and achieve greatness that I talk about. And to me, that's the American story. 
And in identity politics, they'd rather have Frank Gore talk about how he was mistreated in the ghetto versus overcoming everything. And I can't emphasize enough, Frank Gore, when you follow his career, ultimate professional, ultimate professional. Like you never heard a bad word about him. I think William, and obviously you were a lot closer to a lot of the beat writers back in his day. Um, I never heard one guy saying, you know, there's scuttlebutt that Frank Gore is a cancer or that Frank Gore is bitching about not getting enough carries or that he's complaining about it. Like you never heard any of that about Frank Gore. Right. Um, I don't recall him holding out. I, he may have. I don't ever recall him. And by the way, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but I'm saying like he would probably be a coach's and an owner's dream. Just a professional well, guy, always bringing the younger the younger players, uh, 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 training them up, coaching them on the field. Like I think everyone always said, like when you brought Frank Gore into your locker room, you were bringing in the leader. You were bringing in a professional and someone who, even though his skills were diminishing, um, showed others how to be professionals. And I think that's also a value add. Maybe not Hall of Fame worthy, but but definitely a value add. I agree. Uh, uh, no, no. I disagree in the sense that he is Hall of Fame. Uh, uh, no, he worthy. is. I agree. And, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm saying I just, just being a pro isn't necessarily something that a Hall of Fame voter goes, oh, he's a pro, check. I, I do worry about CTE issues with somebody who's played that long with him, you know? I mean, I, I mean, look, nobody knows what's going to happen, but knock on wood, so far he seems fine. And yeah. I heard he's going into boxing. Well, I think he wants to work with the 49ers is what I will. You know, I haven't well, he wants to, he wants to retire as a 49er, I know that. Right, but no, no, he does want to go work with them. Oh, in the front when, office? When... It's this is all just him saying this because he's still got to actually get it done. But well, power to him. And regardless, great story, great yeah. story. We got uh, I, I think that's about it, isn't it? Yeah, I think we've 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 done ourselves a good show today. It seemed to be a little bit chippier than usual, but um, yeah. So let's just say this. Let's thank everyone who bothered to tune into this mess. Thank you for joining us once again on Points on the Board. Uh, for William Del Pilar and myself, Big John, please join us again next week where we'll have more hot topics to talk about. I shouldn't say next week, William, next episode. Exactly. Uh, join us uh, because we do more than one a week, obviously, but join us next time. We'll have other great topics, uh, some pop culture, some sports and politics. So join us. And one thing you're going to know for sure, William is going to bring the <laughs> sassiness associated with Puerto Ricans. No doubt about that, William. There you go. There you go. Well, and don't better. forget, don't forget, give us the plug. Where should they visit to find any previous podcasts? Yes, please go to sportsgrumblings.com. Uh, all the podcasts are, are, are up on that. And pretty soon, very soon, as a matter of fact, coming to your favorite podcast platform, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, uh, pod, uh, Spotify, Pandora, wherever. We're going to be everywhere, folks, nationwide, worldwide, everywhere in the universe. Points on the board for your entertainment pleasure.